0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information,
1: visit us at GraceBibleChurch.org.au Now as
0: we come to this last Sunday of this year, we're we're really at the, the the precipice, you you could even say. Of the the end of this year, as this as this year comes to an end. And really, we're also at the precipice of the start of a new year. And so as we come this Sunday, it's good to just look back at the year that has just gone past and then even then look forward to the year that's coming. When we look at the year that has just gone past, I mean, it's, it's been such a, an unusual year. So many ups and downs. Uh, with all the things related to COVID and the restrictions, life has been anything but normal. Some of us have gone through some very deep trials. Some of us have even lost our loved ones. And then when we think of all this, you know, what is it that we should think of as we come to the end of this year? How are we to think about God and what is the kind of heart attitude that we should have? What about when we think about this coming year? I mean, there's still so many uncertainties, right? COVID's still there. Restrictions are up and down. Just last week we didn't have masks and this week masks are back on again. I don't know if we're going to have more restrictions. Perhaps we will. Perhaps you and I will go through some trials. I don't know. There's still so many things that we don't know but as we think of this coming year, what is it that we need to be absolutely certain about and in light of that,
1: What should our heart attitude be? And I trust that
0: as we look at this psalm, Psalm 100, that it will help us with how we should think about God and what our heart attitude should be. The title of this psalm, it says, A a Psalm For Giving Thanks. The Psalms were the the songs of the Old Testament saints. The whole Psalter was the the hymn book of the Old Testament people. And really, these songs were used to worship God and and there's different scenarios um, and different subjects that many of these Psalms talk about. And here and these psalms were sung as they gathered together corporately and they would worship god with with musical instruments and here it very specifically says that it's a psalm for giving thanks particularly it's a psalm to 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 give thanks to the lord as as the people thought of who god is and what it is that he had done it it was a psalm that called the
1: people to to praise and thank God. Now, as we just look at the arrangement of these psalms, you know, there's this, while many
0: different authors have different, have written these different psalms, these psalms were arranged at some point in a certain fashion. And particularly Psalm 93 Onwards, all the way to some um, to ninety nine these are psalms that talk about God being the sovereign one who who reigns and rules over the entire universe. Now, when you go home, just uh, if you get a chance, just read through Psalm 93 all the way to Psalm 100, and, and you'll see that repeated pattern of who God is, that He is the, the King of the universe who sovereignly reigns and rules over this universe. And really, then, this, this Psalm 100 is the conclusion of those Psalms from 93 to 99 that talk about God being the great ruler. And king of this universe. Now the structure of this psalm is very simple. Even as you read it, you can can make it out. You know, it's a psalm that in the first two verses there's a there's a call to worship and to to worship God, and then verse three gives us a reason why. And then again, verse four, there's another call to worship God, and then verse five will again give us another reason to worship God.
1: I've outlined this psalm this way, just in two propositional statements. First of all,
0: worship the Lord because He is God. That's in verses 1 through 3. And worship the Lord because He is good, in verses 4 and 5. So let's just begin by looking at the first proposition. Worship the Lord because He is God.
1: Verse 1 reads, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Now some translations have this as make a joyful shout.
0: And I think that's a more accurate translation. See, through the years... Some have used this verse wrongly to say things like, Oh, so long as it's a joyful noise, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're singing in tune, you know, or or whether you play loudly, even if it's just noise, it's fine, so long as it's joyful to the Lord. But I think that's totally missing the point of what the psalmist is saying here. The psalmist is saying, Make a joyful shout. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. And the picture of making a joyful shout to the Lord, it's the picture of a king who returns to his country after winning a war. And the people are all gathered and and cheering the king. Or perhaps just when the king is before his people, and the, and the people see their great king. The people are overjoyed and they're flocking together to see the king and they're shouting out to the king and celebrating the greatness of the king. Saying, how great is our king? Long live our king!
1: That's the kind of picture here. Now in the kind of context and culture we live in, we don't, we don't
0: have kings around. The closest thing to what the people are called to do here in the psalm is if you think of perhaps sports. You know, perhaps AFL, you know, you're at the MCG and your team wins. You know, the the whole stadium, the crowd just goes wild. Everything just erupts into uh, this ecstatic joy. Everyone's shouting with excitement, they're they're singing perhaps the team's anthem and there's this huge roar all around. No one can miss it. Or perhaps another modern day scenario would be when uh, when some people see celebrities and they know that a celebrity is coming to town. And people are lined up street after street after street. They will you know, come early in the morning just because they've got wind that at some point this celebrity is going to pass through this way. And they're happy to wait on for hours and hours and hours just to get a glimpse of this celebrity. And as the celebrity passes by, the, the people are squealing and, and shouting because it's a way of expressing their, their awe of this celebrity. There's great exuberance and there's great joy. See, what you need to understand is that the, the people, they aren't forced to do, the, to do this. No, they're not thinking, oh, I have to do this. The, you know, the, the king is coming and I've got to do this. No, they they want to do this because they are are so excited, so full of joy. That's the kind of attitude the, the psalmist is calling the people to. And notice that this is a call to all the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. This call, this summons to worship God is for everyone, all people, everywhere, believers, unbelievers, every human being is called to to worship the Lord. Why? Because He is the King of all the earth. And therefore, everyone should pay homage to this supreme Lord, to this King of kings. And you can can even imagine this picture, you know, as the Israelites are gathered together, they're, they're shouting in glad adoration to the supreme King of kings. And as they're singing this, as they're singing with joy and worshiping God, it's they're even calling the rest of the world the rest of all the earth to come join in our celebration in our adoration of this great
1: king come on come and look at us look how great our king is now verse 2 makes the summons more specific This summons to praise God.
0: Verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. Now some translations again have this as worship the Lord with gladness, as opposed to serve the Lord with gladness. And the reason why it's translated that way is because the word in the original can be used for both, as service and as worship. And really, there's even a big connection between worship and service. See, in the book of Exodus, when Moses, on behalf of God, he comes and speaks to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go, why? So that they may serve the the Lord. The same word is used there. And that's why it could also be translated as, let my people go so that they may worship me, so that they may serve me, says the Lord. And, And I want you to think about this. See, in those times, Pharaoh was considered as a god. And so Pharaoh understood that when Moses is saying let my people go so they can worship and serve the Lord, you know, they're essentially saying that they don't recognize Pharaoh as supreme power. They don't recognize Pharaoh as the supreme king and Lord. That they don't recognize that that he is worthy of worship and of their service. And when the... And when Pharaoh didn't listen to Moses, God sends the, the plagues to show everyone, the Egyptians as well as the Israelites, that God alone is the supreme Lord and King. I mean, this, this overlap of worship and service, uh, we may not realize it, but we even use it in our churchy language. I mean, for our Sunday morning gatherings, sometimes we refer to it as our Sunday morning service. Why do we say that? Because to serve God is to worship God, and to worship God is to serve God. Sunday morning worship,
1: Sunday morning service. It's the same thing. Now in the context here, This word is referring to that formal corporate worship,
0: that formal service to God. But one thing we should recognize is this, that that this this service, this worship of God, it wasn't restricted simply to what people did when they gathered together in a formal sense. That was just the, the, the pinnacle of it. Serving God or worshipping God was also a way of life. It involved walking in the Lord's ways. It involved loving Him and keeping His commandments. This is what serving God and worshipping God is a way of lifestyle meant. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. As one commentator put it, serving God or worshipping God in everyday life meant, quote, demonstrating a quality of life that is consistent with their commitment to the Lord. I mean, even for us as New Testament believers, this service, this, this worship of God, it's not just what we do here on a Sunday morning. It is an everyday thing. Remember Romans 12, 1, where it says that in light of the mercies of God, that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is our spiritual service or
1: spiritual worship to God. So this service, this, this to, to worship the king, uh, it's not a chore. It is to be done with gladness is what the psalmist is saying. See, the kind of heart attitude, if I were to sort of paraphrase what the psalmist is calling the people to
0: is this. My Lord and King... I'm glad to submit to you and serve you and make much of you with my whole life. Not just in the formal sense, but through all of my life, through every day of my life. My allegiance is to you alone. I don't want to make much of me. It is not about me, but it's about you. And I submit to you and I serve you and I want to make much of you because you are worthy. I worship you this way. I want to do this. I'm glad to serve you this way On our fo- during our formal gatherings and every single day. That's the kind of heart attitude this psalmist is calling us to.
1: Now the psalmist adds, come into his presence with singing. See, as they come into the presence of the great king, the people's hearts are full of song. See, this is not some kind of distracted singing or, or even just mouthing the words, You know,
0: pre- almost pretending to be singing, but not really singing. No, this is, this is automatic singing out, singing with gusto with all the musical instruments, with, with the drums and the, the,
1: the, the lyre and the harp and the, and the horns and, and whatever else. So the call here in these two verses is to joyfully worship the Lord and, and serve the Lord, not just, you know, in a, just an intellectual
0: manner, not just by the head, but with all of our being, willingly and with joy, with exuberance, worshipping God this way. And the call is to all people,
1: everyone on earth. But here's the thing. I mean, we all know that unbelievers, they're certainly not
0: going to worship God like this. I mean they, they just forget exuberance. They're just not gonna worship God, period. They're not gonna do that. But let me ask you this. Does that mean, therefore, that the call for that the call shouldn't be for all people? Just because unbelievers won't worship the Lord or even acknowledge him? No. Because the call is not based, the call to worship is not based on the people. The call is based on the Lord and who he is. He is the supreme divine king who is worthy and therefore everyone should worship him. Whether people do it or not, it doesn't change his worth. It doesn't change the call. Now let me ask you another question.
1: This time to those of us who are believers. What about if we're not quite there this morning? Or maybe this week or month? Or maybe this season of life? We're just distracted. There's no joy in worshipping the Lord. Whether in corporate worship,
0: in this kind of setting, or in every day of our lives in worshiping and serving the Lord. There isn't much joy. There isn't much exuberance in the Lord.
1: What are we to do then as believers? Do we just say, oh, I don't have any
0: joy in worshiping God and serving God each day of my life, so I'm just going to stop living for Him. I'm just going to stop serving God and I'm just going to stop making much of Him. Should we do that? No. That would be wrong for us to do so. Because again, God's worthiness to be worshipped has nothing to do
1: with us, but it has everything to do with Him. But at the same time, so does that mean then we go to the other extreme? where we say, oh, I'm just gonna do this no matter what.
0: Just by my sheer will, I'm gonna do this. Even if I don't have the joy, I'll just fake it. You know, deep down inside, I'm crying, but I'm just gonna put a mask. Where, you know, for everyone to see, there's this big smile on my face. and pretend that I'm worshipping and serving God with gladness because, hey, this is what Christians and believers are called to do,
1: right? No, that would be wrong as well. That would be totally wrong as well. Because that is not
0: what this, and that is not what this psalm intends as it calls to
1: all people to joyfully worship God. then you say, well, what do I do then?
0: You know, I can't not worship God, I can't not serve God, but I don't have the joy. And if you're saying, I don't fake it till till things happen, then what is it that I do? Well, first of all, recognize this, that something is seriously wrong
1: at the heart level. Something is seriously wrong right here. And that needs to be made right, first and foremost. Then you say, well, what do I need to do to get that right? Well, the psalmist gives us the first reason of how and why we should joyfully worship the Lord, and that's in verse 3. Verse three says, know that the Lord He is God.
0: See this kind of joyful worship, it should stem from our knowledge about who the Lord is. You know, I find it so bizarre when you know people in this day and age say, Oh, I don't I don't want more theology. I don't want to know more about God. I I don't, you know, all this heavy Bible stuff.
1: I don't want that. I just want to worship God and experience God. But here's the thing. How are you going to worship God if you don't know him? How are you going to get excited about God and be
0: joyful in him if you barely know him? I mean, you know that to be true about any individual. If I say to you, oh, Mr. X or Miss Y is like this, and you know nothing about that person, and I'm excited here talking about this person, and you're like, oh, okay, I guess that person must be something. And the reason you would think that way is because you don't know this person then why would we ever think that we can worship God and be joyful in Him without knowing Him or by
1: just knowing Him that much? The psalmist says our joyful worship
0: should be based on our knowledge about who the Lord is. The knowledge that is revealed to us in God's Word But again, this knowledge, it's not just mere intellectual knowledge. It starts there by knowing intellectually what the Bible says, but then it needs to move down to the heart, have a clearer understanding that it becomes such a reality in our lives that
1: this truth about who God is as we know Him, it really impacts the way we live. The psalmist says this is what you need to know first and foremost. Know that the Lord is God. The Lord, Yahweh, the
0: covenant keeping God, that He is God. You know, it, it, it's a very exclusive statement. You could even say it this way, that Yahweh alone is God. That the Lord alone is God. And you say, well, I, I know that. I, I mean, why is this so important for the people to keep reminding themselves and to really understand this? Well, because there's always the danger of false gods that our hearts Are prone to turn to see because of the sin in us our hearts are prone sometimes to turn to people you know oftentimes it it might be family members like our spouse or child or or sibling or grandparent or whoever or, or friends even other times we'll turn to things, whether it's, it's work or some kind of toy or some kind of hobby or, or, or money or, or just some stuff. And whatever that blank is that we constantly turn to, we think that will fulfill us. That will satisfy us. That will give us security. That will give us comfort. That will give us joy. But in the end, it doesn't because it cannot. The Lord alone is the one who can provide us with the security and the satisfaction and the joy that we so desire. Why? Because the Lord alone is God. Only God can do that. And so we can't turn to people or things to get that supreme satisfaction and security. And our heart, again and again, as much as we might know this here, we need to be reminded of this again and again. Oh, heart of mine, oh, soul of mine, that is so prone to look at things or depend on things and depend on people other than
1: the Lord himself. And I need to be reminded that the Lord alone is God. And we must begin here and keep coming
0: back here if we are to joyfully worship the Lord. Everything and everyone else that I'm turning
1: to is not God. The Lord alone is God. And because he alone is God, the psalmist goes on to say, it is he who made us and we are his. It is he who made us.
0: See, we didn't suddenly come into existence because of fate or, or some chance or whatever. See, the fact that you and I exist is because God determined that you and I would exist. Because he created us, he made us. If God didn't do that, we
1: wouldn't even be existing today, right now. Because he alone is God,
0: and he has the power to create us. And only he has the power to create us. And because he created us, we belong to him. Now, while God created mankind, all of mankind in a physical sense, you know, I believe the creation here, this this language of making, it's talking about spiritual creation in a in a redemptive sense. Why do I say that? Because just read on. The psalmist says, it is he who made us, we are his, and he explains that a bit more by saying, we are his people. Not everyone in the world is his people. So this is talking about God creating the nation of Israel. After he's redeemed them from Egypt and made them his people,
1: that he's created a people for himself. Now as believers, we're all to his people,
0: right? Well, except we are living in the New Testament times. Sure, we haven't redeemed from slavery uh, of Egypt, but we have been redeemed from our sin. Now, think about this, right? We would never, ever be able to pay the price for our sins we would never be able to obtain forgiveness of sins on our own. We would never be able to have the freedom from our guilt and our shame and our sin if it were just up to us. But God could. And he did so by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to this this earth as a man for our sake so that he could pay the price for our sins. Why? So that we could be forgiven and freed from
1: our sin and become part of his people. My Christian brothers and sisters, I mean,
0: do you see how much we need God? How much we're dependent on him? It's not just our physical existence. The fact that you and I are people of God is because
1: God did that in our lives. We didn't do that. We wouldn't be redeemed and privileged to become his people if the Lord wasn't God. Now the psalmist brings
0: to an end the first reason for joyful worship by saying, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. I love that. See, the Lord is not just God who is our creator and redeemer, but the Lord is also our God who is our shepherd. So the picture of a shepherd and sheep, it's a very
1: endearing picture, an intimate relationship. See, what we need to remind ourselves is, see, God is not just a
0: big God who's just distant, out there doing things, but he's a big God who's also close to us, who's deeply involved in our lives. See, one person put it like this, quote, God, a shepherd, not only owns his sheep, but he's also completely committed himself to tenderly care for to provide for and protect his sheep
1: god as shepherd is completely committed to us this way i love that you know psalm 23
0: is one psalm that comes to mind that talks about you know god as shepherd to his people and it reminds us that because god is our shepherd we have no wants He provides for our every need. And yet, here's the thing. Even though we have God as our shepherd, just like sheep, our hearts wander. Our hearts get distracted by things around. And then we go astray. But our Lord lovingly brings us back. And he guides us in paths of righteousness toward that everlasting life till we are home with him. When we go through difficult times, we don't have to fear because again, God, our shepherd is with us and he will protect us from all evil. I mean, just think about us. If we were to see ourselves as sheep, you know, without a shepherd, we would be so vulnerable So defenseless, every evil will befall us. A sin will overtake us and we will go the way of the world to our own ruin. But the Lord is our shepherd and he shepherds us as his people, as the sheep of his pasture. Think about this for a second, Christian. I mean, we people who are just like everyone else in the world, people who are lost, people who couldn't help themselves, people who couldn't deliver themselves from sin, people who are still prone to wander away from the shepherd, that's the kind of people we are. And yet, we of all people are His people. Do you understand that, Christian? See, it's not just for our redemption and for our creation we needed him. Every step of every day we need him. We need him as we go into eternity and for the rest of our lives. We are solely, totally dependent on him and he continually cares for us. He continually guides us. Because we have been privileged to be his people. I mean, doesn't that do something in your soul? When you're reminded of that, you know, when you know these truths and then it begins to sink into your heart, it it affects the way we live, right? I I, I mean, it's an automatic response then of our hearts to sing joyfully to the Lord, to joyfully serve this great God, to worship this great God. We don't have to be forced then to, to do this. The Lord alone is God. It is he who made us and we are his. This foundational truth is where you and I need to go to when we see our hearts getting cold. And then, as that truth sinks deeper into our hearts, we will be filled with a song. We will be full of joy
1: to worship and serve this God. So the psalmist, as he rehearses this truth,
0: as it comes to his mind and his heart, he he becomes even more excited. And he starts praising God
1: and thanking God and worshiping God again. And here we come to the and here we come to the second call to joyful worship. And I've titled
0: this section as worship the Lord because he is good verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 reads, "Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless" His name. See, the psalmist in light of what the Lord has done and is doing as, as, as he recognizes, I'm part of God's, I belong to God, I'm, I'm his people. Then he calls the people of God to joyfully worship God now with hearts full of thanks. See, this is the heart that, recognizes that God is my creator, God is my redeemer, and God is my sustainer. He has saved me, he provides for me, he protects me, he sanctifies me, and he will lead me home to be with him. This is a heart that recognizes that. See, the unbelieving heart doesn't thank God and does not want to worship God, as Romans 1 says. Why? Because they don't see God as believers do. In fact, Roman, Romans 1 says that because of their sin and because of their darkened minds, they suppress the very truth about God. But those of us who, whose eyes have been opened, who trust in this great Lord, those,
1: and recognize that this is what God has done, you know, we should have a different attitude.
0: We should have the kind of heart that, you know, says, there's nothing special about me. But the Lord God of this universe has made me his. I don't deserve to be his. But this is what the great Lord has done.
1: And so I I want to give thanks and I want to praise God and I want to worship God. Now the call to worship in verse four, it's a bit more specific than in the previous section, particularly with regards to its location. See, if you notice there in verse four, There's the language of entering
0: his gates and his courts. What's that talking about? That's temple language. It's talking about the temple of the Lord. See, in the Old Testament times, the Israelites, they would come into the courts of the temple to offer sacrifices on the altar and worship God this way. So the, and this privilege of entering the courts of the Lord's house or the Lord's temple was, and to offer sacrifices and praise and thanks, it was given only to the Israelites in the Old Testament. As far as anyone else who is not an Israelite, all Gentiles, they were considered unclean and they could never enter the house of the Lord. They could never enter into the courts of the Lord's temple. And then on top of that when you think of even the you know Old Testament Israelites they still had very restricted access to God You know there's the the temple courts but there was something called as the most holy place where the presence of the Lord dwelt no one other than the high priest was allowed to go into the into that most holy place and that was just once a year and if the high priest entered the most holy place, not according to God's requirements, he would be struck down dead. And that's the picture in Old Testament times as the psalmist has written this. But now on this side of the cross, in this New Testament age, that, that veil that is before the holy, most holy place has been torn. This access to the most holy place of God has been flung open, not just to the Israelites, but to all Gentiles of all nations. I mean, can you think about this if you were an Old Testament saint? To say, the most holy place is open. You have access there. They can, you can go in there. They would be like, no, no, I don't want to go in there. Most people who go in there, especially someone like me, I, I'll be dead. Oh, that has been flung open and there's ready access now to all of us who are believers in this age. And the reason the most holy place has been opened up and there's unrestricted access into the very presence of God is because Jesus offered himself as that sacrifice for the sin of his people. And he took the punishment for our sins on himself, so that people like you and me could be made right with God and have this open access to God. Friend, if you're someone this morning who does not know who Jesus is, or or what it is that Jesus has done, or what it means to follow Jesus, I'd love to speak to you, and I'd love to tell you how you can be made right with God. Don't. Don't go away this morning without knowing how. Or perhaps if you're shy to speak to me, you can speak to somebody sitting next to you who perhaps brought you to this uh, morning service. Or perhaps one of the members of this church and they would love to speak to you about what it means to follow Jesus. But as believers on this side of the cross, understand this. We have a greater privilege, a greater revelation of God A greater understanding of what it is that God has done and has done in history also through Jesus Christ. More than any other uh, Old Testament saint. So how much more we should be thankful than any other Old Testament saint? Now the psalmist now moves on as he calls people to thank God and praise God and worship God this way, he gives us a second reason of why we should joyfully worship God this way. Verse five. He says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations.
1: The Lord is good. What does it mean that the Lord is good? One theology book gave this definition. It says, God's goodness means that he is the perfect sum
0: and source and standard of all that which is wholesome, virtuous, beneficial, and beautiful, end quote. So here's what it means. God is the perfect standard of goodness. That he is the highest good that is there in this world. The only reason we know anything to be good is because there is God and he is good. Everything that is good in this world, everything that you call good in your life, it comes from his hand. Another theologian described God's goodness as God's attribute that causes him to deal bountifully and kindly
1: with his creatures. God is good and he does only what is good. Again, brother, sister, we need to
0: remind ourselves this again. And again and again and again. Because when we go through difficulties, when we go through painful trials, it does not mean that God has suddenly changed. It does not mean that some suddenly because you find yourself in a painful circumstance that God is no longer good or that he has allowed this painful trial in your life because he somehow means
1: to harm you. No, God will never do anything to harm us. Never,
0: ever will he do that. He will always do only that which is good for us, that which is beneficial for us, even if it means some pain. Just like a parent sometimes deals with children and they go through some pain because they don't understand why the parent is doing that.
1: Only the parent understands that they are doing it for the child's own good. And the psalmist goes on to say, the Lord's goodness is seen in the way that his steadfast love
0: endures forever. Steadfast love. What is that? That's the covenant love of God. Sometimes translated as his mercy or his loving kindness or the hesed love. Now we looked at that a lot in detail when we went through the book of Ruth. It's the kind of love which is not conditioned on the person that is loved. It's a love that is conditioned purely by the fact that there is this covenant relationship. It means that no matter what what you do, God's love will not change for you. Because you're in this close relationship with him. God's love will continue to be steadfast forever this way, no matter what. It will not waver. It will continue to remain steadfast forever. Just think about that, Christian. I want you to just, just pause, even if you're distracted, just for this second. Just, just pause for a minute. The God of this universe, he has fixed his love on you. Do you understand that, Christian? His love is so fixed on you that nothing will be able to separate you from his
1: love. That's how strong he has fixed his love on you. He's bound his love to you this way. Let's just do this quickly. I want you to think about this past week
0: or maybe this past month or maybe this past year. Think about the many times that you sinned against the Lord. Think about the many times that you failed him. Think about the many times you willfully, not you know, not unknowingly, but knowingly rebelled against him. Think of the many times that you strayed away from him this past year. Oh, God has seen all of your sins and more. In fact, he knows how you will fail him again and sin against him even this coming year.
1: But let me tell you, this Christian, God still loves you. Exactly. The same.
0: He set his love on you from eternity past and that love has never, ever wavered. No matter how much you sin, he still loves you the same. In fact, he loves you so much that he won't leave you in your sin, but he'll continue to change you and draw you back to his ways, so that you would keep turning away from your sin. But his love for you will never, ever change. It continues to remain the same. He will never love you any less. His love is still steadfast and his love will still remain this way forever for you
1: all the days of your life and into eternity. Do you understand this, Christian? Now you might be thinking, but
0: I I don't deserve to be loved like this. I mean, I keep failing him. I don't deserve to be loved like this. Yes, that's true. You and I don't deserve to be loved like this. But I think now we're seeing God and his love toward us rightly that it is so undeserving. This is what God has done for you in Christ. And the psalmist says, and because of this, God is going to be faithful to all generations, meaning that you can count on God to be this way. That God will be faithful to his people from one generation to another generation. That's why this song that was written so many hundreds of years ago, we can still sing this. Because nothing has changed about God. God continues to be faithful to His Word and true to who He is. His steadfast love still
1: continues toward His people. And it never changes, no matter what you do. When you think about this, doesn't
0: it do something in your heart? How can we remain apathetic then to this God? And sort of think, oh, I guess I have to serve this God. I guess I have to come and sing to this God. I guess I have to worship this God. I guess I have to live for this God. It's not a I guess I have to. It's more, I get to do this.
1: I get to live for him. When we understand these truths about God,
0: it should fill our hearts with joy and song and thankfulness. Even as we look at this past year and as we look at this
1: coming year let me just say one last thing before we close
0: you know in one of the books uh, that I read a while back this author particularly talks about the importance of preaching truth to ourselves rather than passively listening to ourselves and what he meant by that is this that on any given day, say we feel a certain way or or whatever, or we're thinking a certain way, and we're just letting our hearts just wander that way. He says, no, no, don't, don't do that. Don't passively just listen to your heart and mind and just let it go off like that. No, you need to preach the truth of God's word. You need to say, stop my heart. You will not go there and you will bring your heart back to the word of God, the truth of who God is and what it is that he has done. And it's only as we do that, not passively, but actively keep doing that each and every day, will our hearts then be full of joy and full of song, ready to worship our God And serve Him. I pray that as we end this year and as we're going into the new year, no matter what we face, no matter what trial may come our way, whether it's good times or bad times or just ordinary times, that we would continue to remind ourselves of these truths. So that we can be filled with joy, not live as miserable Christians, but be filled with joy, knowing who God is and what it is that He has done and what it is He's doing,
1: and joyfully worship and serve our God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the great God you are, and we thank you that. You don't want us to live miserable lives. But you,
0: in, you really want us to live joyful lives.
1: Hearts that are always full of song. To live with gladness in you.
0: And Father, we pray that these truths that we were reminded of, of the fact that you are our creator, our savior, our redeemer, our sustainer and that that you are good and that you love us unconditionally and you will continue to be faithful to us this way because this is who you are. Father, we pray that these truths would sink deep into our hearts, not just this week, but this coming year and the coming years ahead, so long as you give us breath on this earth and we would live with thankful hearts living and joyful worship toward you. And we pray all these things
1: in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.